This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Come with me, please, this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter. And we're going to begin reading verse 18. Oh, trying to drink out of an empty cup. That's not much good, is it? All right, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, Sorry, Matthew Gospel, chapter 1, I'm reading from verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he will bring forth a son, she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. There's something within all human beings that want to fix things. We want to improve things. We want to make things better. Our car breaks down, we want a mechanic to fix it. We take sick, we want a medicine to heal it. Our marriage hits the rocks, we want a counselor to help us sort it. We're overweight, we want to go on a diet. We get older, we want to improve our eyesight, we want to improve our mobility. Thank you, Johnny. Look at that. Look at the, look at the service I get in here. You've got a drink poured for me. Thank you, young sir. And so we, we want to continually improve and science, and technology and science and education and medicine all help us in our quest to improve, to make better, to fix things. And so we live longer. Uh, our age of mortality, uh, we have probably one of the highest rates of living longer than anywhere else in the world. And so thank God for that. It's wonderful, the improvements uh, that we have made. Our home comforts is incredibly better than what our parents well, I was talking to a wee woman in the charity shop yesterday, and we were reminiscing. Now, some of these youngers won't even know what I'm talking about. And uh, this was the time before you had any radiators in your homes. This was before the time you had any even hot water in your house, or sometimes even any water in your house. You had outside toilets. Uh, this was the time when you went to bed at night, and the air was so cold, you could see your breath. And I was telling her, I said, do you remember whenever we were children that we got a great big glass lemonade bottle and we filled it full of hot water and put it in your daddy's sock in order to make a hot water bottle for bed? Anybody in here remember that? Oh, just about two of us. All right. 
John, yeah, I seen you got a poke there, John. Do you remember that? <laughs> and so things has proved absolutely dramatically uh, since then. And so our, our I suppose as 21st century people, uh, of all people, in every generation, we have got it the best. And we, we think we can, we can improve everything, we can make everything better, we can solve every problem, we have an answer to everything, and we have an answer to many things, but we don't have an answer to everything. But there is one thing we cannot fix. There is one thing we cannot improve or make better or fix. In spite of her massive advancements in technology and science, in spite of man's optimism, positivism, and uh, in spite of self-belief, and in spite of our ability uh, to almost feel that we're, we're superhuman, that we can do anything, fix anything, whatever we like, in spite of all of that, there is one thing we cannot fix, and that is the human nature, the sinful nature of man, our Adamic legacy, that which all of us possess, that is utterly incapable of being fixed or improved or find a solution to in this world. It just cannot happen. In the thousands of years since Adam's fallen Eden, has man's moral nature improved? I don't think so. Is man any less selfish, any less rebellious? Is man any less cruel or barbaric? I don't think so. In fact, in spite of all our advancements, morally, we've got worse. And so, it goes to show us that we cannot fix everything. But when will we admit that we cannot fix our fallen nature? When will we admit that no matter how hard we try, we will never be able to make the leopard change its spots? It can't be done. So that brings us face to face with man's core problem. How do you fix the unfixable? How do you solve the unsolvable? How do you do that? And until a man admits defeat and admits he cannot do it, he will live his life deceiving himself that somehow or other he needs no help. Self, actually, is at the very root of man's fallenness. God warned Adam not to partake of the forbidden fruit, but self overruled that warning, and he went ahead and the fall took place. Self overruled Cain's obligation to be his younger brother's keeper. But what did he do? He went out and he murdered him. Self makes us always want to be in control over others. Self always wants us to have more and to be more and to do more than others. Self that always makes demands, always wants to manipulate people in situations so that we can have our own way. Self refuses to be humble, refuses to admit we're wrong. We struggle with self. So this fallen, broken, rebellious, proud, sinful nature is way beyond repair. 
It cannot be mended. It cannot be improved. It cannot be made better. It cannot be fixed. And no one can do it for us. So here is man's quandary. Here is man's problem. No matter how clever he is, no matter how technologically savvy or scientifically brilliant, no matter how emotionally adjusted or psychologically competent, he still cannot have control over the sinful nature. Can't do it. The sin nature rules him. And so it will ultimately bring every man to ruin. So what in the world has all that got to do with Christmas? What has this got to do with the Advent season? It's everything to do with it. Because this is where God has got the solution to every man's unsolvable problem. This is where God sent his son Jesus to earth. This is the first Advent. This is the very reason why God sent his son God sent his son to fix us. You see, me as a sinner, before I found the grace of God, I was a sinner. I, I couldn't help sinning. I was born a sinner. It was my very nature to sin. And no matter how hard I maybe tried at times not to sin, I couldn't not sin because it's my nature. I was born with it. I was born with that Adamic nature. That's the one I came into this world with. And it didn't take me very long to find that out. And it doesn't take any child very long to find that out. Even though I thought, perhaps, if I could prevent the worst sins, if I could do that, it would be okay. But a multitude of little sins is just as bad as one big sin. In fact, the Bible says in James, it says this, James 2.10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in just one point, he is guilty of all of it. Why would that be so? Because God's law is so demanding. It's so exact. It's so holy. It's so righteous that we cannot keep God's law intact 100%. It cannot be done. So even if we just break one of God's laws, he holds us guilty as if we broke all of them. That's how high the standard is. Well, what's the point of the law? The law was to show us that, to show us how sinful we really are. Of course, God doesn't leave us there. If God just pointed out how sinful we are, then we'd be hopeless. But he doesn't. He gives us a solution to our problem. And that's what the first advent is all about. And so this fallen, selfish, rebellious, Adamic nature uh, needs fixed. And only God can fix it. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man, the unregenerated man, the man who has not been born again of God's Spirit. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. As a natural man, I had no spiritual discernment. 
As a natural man, I couldn't fix myself, even though I wanted to live a decent, honorable life. But yet I continually sinned in spite of that noble desire because that was my nature. And that was your nature too. That's every man's nature. So there could only be one answer. I needed a new nature. I needed to be born again. I needed a different spirit. And only God can do this. So Jesus had to come. He had to go to the cross to pay for my sins, the breaking of God's laws. And Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. The wages of my sin was death. <coughs> Due to my sinful nature. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this Advent story... This Christmas story, it's not just a nice, warm, and fuzzy little tale. The harsh reality is that God had to send his son to go and die on a cross to save us, <coughs> to fix us, to finally allow us to be what he intended us to be, to live as God intended us to live. And we could not do it. No matter how much we had even wanted to do it, we couldn't do it. To no longer be a slave to <coughs> sin and selfishness. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He is the deliverer, the rescuer, the savior from our sins. And this is what makes the Advent story so unique and so different and so special. This is God giving himself to save ourselves. This is God doing the one thing for us that we could never do for ourselves. This Advent story had a long time, was a long time in the planning. In fact, it was before the foundation of the world, wasn't it? But it came to our attention in Genesis 3.15 whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God rebuked the devil. You remember what he said to him? And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So there was a prophetic promise there that one would come that would bruise his head, his authority. Because now he had taken man's authority to rule. And now he was the one ruling over because of sin. But one would come that would bruise his head, that would break his authority over us. Huh. And so this was a long time in the planning. But right there and then, Genesis 3.15, that's where the die was cast. That's where the, the sentence was passed. But then began a process that would culminate in Jesus coming to the earth and going to the cross and dying for our sins. So God would raise up a man, Abram, from Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram would have an encounter with God. <coughs> 
And from then on, he'd be called Abraham, a father of many nations. And then Abraham would have a son, Isaac. And Isaac would be that prophetic promise son, the one that in whom all your seed will be called. And then Isaac would have a son, Jacob. And Jacob would have an incredible encounter with the Lord himself. And he would be changed from Jacob to Israel, a prince with God. And then Jacob or Israel would have 12 sons who had become the 12 tribes of Israel or the nation of Israel. And out of that nation would come a man, the promised one, the one that would bruise the head of Satan. The one that Micah and Isaiah spoke of 700 years before he came. Even them in the very place where he would be born, Micah 5 and 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you he shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. And just so we know that we're not just talking about an ordinary man, he says, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. And then in Isaiah 9 and 6 and 7, you know it so well. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And as I always say, a child is born speaks of his humanity. A son is given speaks of his divinity. A child is born speaks of his birth. A son is given speaks of his death. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. How's he going to perform it? How's that going to work out? Well, Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And that chimes with Matthew 1, 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so when the time was right, when everything that was ordained by God was in its place, God sent forth his son to be the savior of the world. And this is what old Graham Scroggy called the unfolding drama of redemption. Isn't that a lovely statement? The unfolding drama of redemption unfolded through the centuries until 2,000 years ago. The prophets looked forward to his coming. We look back to his coming. They looked forward to his first advent. Well, we look back to the first advent. And so Jesus came to do the thing that we could not do. He came to give us a new nature. Now, not one that's incapable of sinning. Because John says in his first epistle, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're liars. Because every man sins. 
but rather he gives us a nature that has no desire to keep on sinning, that no longer has the propensity to stay in sin and to enjoy sinning. Because let's face it, we used to enjoy it. But no longer. No longer. Because we have a new nature. We're born again of God's Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. So something happened within us the moment you were born again. Something mysterious, mystical, supernatural took place inside you that we cannot explain because it's a work of God's Spirit. And it changed us. It gave us a whole new, different way of looking at life. And we realized who we were. And we began to realize why we were created. And we began to see that God had a purpose for us, His purpose for us. And our lives were changed forever. And so Christmas means that a man can, woman can pass from death to life, from our darkness to his light, from our wrongness to his righteousness, from our sin to his salvation, for our, from our old nature to his new nature, from our works to his grace. It's completely different. And no man can do that. No man can do that. But when will men ever see the truth of that, that they cannot fix themselves? There's people who believe if you only go to church, that's enough. If you pray every night, that's enough. If you read the Bible, that's enough. But there's people who have done that their whole lives, but they're not born again. <laughs> that radical change hasn't happened. There's people who sing in choirs every week in church and has heard the gospel for years and they still haven't received Christ as their Savior because they think, I can fix myself. I've improved myself enough, thank you very much. I'm okay. I think God will accept me as I am because I'm not like her, I'm not like him, I'm not like them. And they're deceiving themselves. This is the reason why God had to send his son. This is the reason why Christmas came in the first place, so that we might be saved. And so his first advent paved the way for our salvation. His manger was the beginning of his mission. His crib was the first step to his cross. As Christians, we don't just celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Easter. In fact, we should celebrate Easter more than we celebrate Christmas. But the two of them goes together. One is the final outcome of the first one, isn't it? Without the Advent, there'd have been no Easter. But without Easter, then the Advent wouldn't have meant anything. And so, Jesus didn't come to reform us. He came to transform us. He didn't come to tweak us or to tune us or to just improve us a wee bit. He came to transform us, to radically change us from the inside out. And this would be so life-changing that it would take God himself to make this possible. 
This is not something we're capable of doing ourselves. It was thousands of years in the making. And God had to send his own son to this earth. God had to come in human form. Can you believe that? As the hymn writer says it, God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. Who can understand that? And so when we think about Christmas, we need to think about these things. It took him to die on a cross. It took his Holy Spirit to then indwell us. It took us to be born again of God's Spirit. 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. I love that old hymn of J. Wilbur Chapman. You know, we, we, we sing a, a verse of this, and it's kind of made into a modern song. Actually, I love the original better. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt amongst men, my example is he. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, O oh, glorious day. Living, he loved me. He had to come and live in this world. There had to be an advent. There had to be his first coming. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. He had to go to a cross. See, the old hymn writers knew their theology, didn't they? They sat down and thought about it before they wrote a word. And they knew what they were writing. Because he goes on to say, if I may read it, one day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on the tree, suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins. My Redeemer is he. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Wonderful, isn't it? One day they left him alone in the garden. One day he rested from suffering free. Angels came down o'er his tomb to keep vigil. Hope of the hopeless, my Savior is he. One day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death. He had conquered. Now has ascended, my Lord, evermore. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day my beloved one's bringing. Glorious Savior, this Jesus is mine. Amen. <laughs> he was a preacher too, Wilbur Chapman, by the way. And a good one. So now we've got a new nature. A Christ-like nature. A born-again redeemed nature and we've gone from darkness to light from death to life and from all of our own works of our own righteousness that we thought to his wonderful grace and now we are seeing that his desire to fix us was even greater than our desire to fix ourselves if only people could see that their desire to fix themselves that God has even got a greater desire to fix them than they have 
but God knew all along we couldn't do it. Our old nature wouldn't have the power to do it. And so this Christmas, as we look at the babe in the manger, we're seeing something that is so wonderful that all of heaven must have viewed it with awe and wonder that the Son of God, that God himself would come as a little baby in a manger. Hmm. As Wesley so eloquently wrote, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus or Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. So you see the Advent season, the Christmas season, is a time for us as Christians to think, why did Jesus come? Why did God send him? To do what we couldn't do. So that we could be what he intended us to be. And live how he intended us to live. And to be the people of God. To be his sons and to be his daughters. And it was a supernatural act of God that translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And here today... We worship the babe in a manger. We worship the Christ who went to the cross. We worship the Savior who's coming back for his people again. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.